Well, folks, Shaw Mesha Arish, August Morris Gra, Tasola Gomsa, Gowil Shivsha, Gomoy. August and Scale Moore, Egan Bamacha, Tan Scale Moore Sadon, Egan Bamacha, Foyen Kogu, Ukraine. August Tamisha, the Alan Daniela, just like Pierconch and and Newark, Dahan, Erd, and La, Ogresega, Orkernadini, Bakht, Unshin. The big story at this time is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And like many of you, I've been watching the round the clock news reports emerging from what is now a war zone. And the television and images and the photographs are distressing. Burning buildings, the skeletal shell of others which have already been destroyed, Russian tanks and armoured soldiers, and terrified citizens and families, many with young children, desperate to escape. And it's particularly striking without at all being sexist, that many of those who are leaving are women and their young families because the men folk of military age are staying behind. Terrified citizens, terrified human beings, all desperate to escape. And there have been images also of ordinary citizens determined to resist and to fight the invader. We see images of people hunkered down in the street making petrol bombs. The film footage of elderly folks, women particularly, and one particular woman confronting a Russian soldier reminded me of the many examples that I saw in my own time here, similar in this case to our own experience. I thought of the march of mothers, many pushing prams who swept aside British soldiers as they brought food to the beleaguered, besieged community in the Falls who were under a British military curfew in July 1970. And these images are a shocking visual record of the violent abuse by one state of its smaller neighbour. The response of the citizens of Ukraine and the televised images of petrol bombs being prepared or street signs being removed is reminiscent of exactly the same popular actions here during the Battle of the Bogside or in Bella Murphy or many other communities. And for many Republicans and nationalists, the language of outrage from some sections of the Irish and international media and of the political establishments ring hollow when set against their silence, or in fact their collusion, in the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, or the plight of the Palestinian people struggling against the apartheid Israeli state, or the struggle here in the north. So I'm quite cynical about the rhetoric on the intentions of some of the international leaders. Nevertheless, this cannot be allowed to distract from the unacceptability of the Russian government invading and violating the territorial integrity of Ukraine 
and the right of the people of that country to exercise their fundamental right to self-determination and independence. The Irish government is a member of the UN Security Council, as well as of the European Union, and it must use these important positions to argue for an end to the invasion, for an immediate withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine, and the intensification of dialogue to find a peaceful way forward. We also must resist the pull and the argument that the Irish state on this island should join NATO. We have a historic role. We have a peace process. We know what works. We know that dialogue works. We need to put that argument. Militarization will suit only the armaments industry. Be assured that those who would currently in high places exalt military actions will be quick afterwards to talk the talk with those against whom they are saying those actions should be aimed. So let's look to the people of Ukraine, let's send them solidarity, let's do all that we can to assist them and to oppose the invasion. But let's stay steady. We need a world at peace, a world which believes in dialogue and conversation to resolve conflicts, a world which believes fully in the right of nations to, or nation states to figure out their own futures in their own way. Now, it's a bit, I suppose, difficult then to talk about our own process here, given that the problems are largely, in comparison to what's happening in Ukraine, or indeed in Syria, or indeed in the Yemen, or indeed in the Palestinian territories, our, our problems here are very, very, very uh, sortable. And thankfully, there is a peaceful means of resolving them. But it would be remiss of me if I didn't uh, remind people that we have an election it's only nine weeks away, and that won't be long going in. And most of the parties have probably already chosen their uh, candidates or finishing that process. And there are already canvas teams out on the doorsteps, setting out policies, offering leaflets, and trying to ensure that people are registered. So let me remind you all that every single vote counts in a PR election, in any election, but particularly when you can go down through the preferences, you can play a crucial role in shaping the political landscape after May the 5th. Now, I would, of course, like everyone to give their preferences to Sinn Féin candidates, and that won't surprise anyone. But I would urge all electors, all voters, especially our young people, to use their franchise, regardless of who they vote for. This ability to vote in an election is precious. It's a fundamental right. 
and for women and for young people and for sections of society, it's a right that has often been denied by those in power who wish to remain in power. And there have been different methods used and spurious rationales offered to deny the vote to citizens. Sometimes it's gender discrimination. Women fought long and hard for the vote. On other occasions, it's racism. And in yet others, like our own place, following partition, it was sectarianism. Now, these were all excuses. It was all about disempowering the mass of working people, the mass of so-called ordinary people. And whether it was here in the USA or in South Africa, election processes were rigged to deny sections of people the vote or to ensure that their vote did not uh, ensure representation within the political institutions. And changing that meant hard struggle. It meant organising, it meant marching, and the right to vote campaigners endured battens, water cannons, beatings, and worse, to win the franchise. Now, whatever your view on the Good Friday Agreement, and I would like to presume that most thinking people would acknowledge that the Good Friday Agreement created inclusive political institutions that have the ability to make positive change in people's lives. Now, making change was never going to be easy, and it was never going to happen overnight, but progress has been made, and there are always opportunities to make even more. So there have been, notwithstanding the DUP collapsing the executive, there have been a succession of crucial decisions taken in the Assembly. And these decisions have been about helping citizens to their entitlements by providing financial and other supports for the most disadvantaged in our society. And these are tangible outcomes and tangible evidence that the Assembly, if it's working properly, can make a real difference in people's lives. I think what it would be like if this devolved administration was part of an all-Ireland act of self-determination in whatever political structures the people decide. And I, of course, want to see a real republic. But if we had control over fiscal policy, if we had control over other matters, and if we could overcome our differences or at least moderate them through those political institutions, how much better a society this would be. So look at what Communities Minister Deirdre Harkey has done. She's frozen rents for housing executive tenants to help fight the cost of living crisis and she's binned the bedroom tax. She's given uh, grants towards a 22 million social housing scheme in West Tyrone and an energy payment support scheme which will see one-off payments of £200 to cover a quarter of a million people to help heating their homes. She announced 11.7 million housing association grant and all of this despite the fact that others within 
the institutions or half in, half out of the institutions have resisted these changes. Dahi, Dahi's law, the organ donation bill, introduced by Health Minister Robin Swan, just passed its final stage in the Assembly. There was a bill passed preventing workers with paid leave following the death of a child, stillbirth or miscarriage. And Gemma Dolan's bill to ban zero-hours contracts and give certainty to workers about what hours they work and what their wages will be at the end of the week of the month has passed the next stage. And Finance Minister Conor Murphy has delivered £40 million for the hospitality business. He's also delivered an additional £18 million to help children with special educational needs. And in January, the Assembly passed the Integrated Education Bill to the next stage. And that's about facilitating those families who wish to send their kids, their children, to an integrated school. That they would have that choice and that the school would have proper support. Naomi Long, the Justice Minister, has moved the Justice Sexual Offences and Trafficking Victims Bill to its next stage. And her legislation targeting stalking has passed its final stage. And finally, and belatedly but finally, the victims of historical institution abuse have will receive their apology on March the 11th. And these measures happened because Sinn Féin, the Alliance Party, the Greens, the People Before Profit, the UUP voted together. Okay, you may say these are small changes, and I actually do believe uh, that these are what people are sent into the Assembly to do. So if they're doing their job, uh, that's what they're sent to do. But fair play, it's still progress. And sometimes, as I've said in these podcasts many times, that's how change is made. It's slow and it continues and it builds up. It's like, like planting seeds. And then all of a sudden it flourishes, it blooms, or a tipping point is created. So there's a lot to be hopeful about, notwithstanding the dismal international global situation. But remember, the future here or anywhere else in the world is too important to be left solely to politicians. You want change? Then be the change you want and vote. I note too that uh, the debate on Irish unity and the different issues that underpin people's concerns or people's incentives continue to be set out in public and media debates and discussions. And, you know, all the opinion polls, and I'm not firm believer in quoting opinion polls, but there has been a consistent uh, outcome that a section of public opinion here is increasingly open to the idea of the United Ireland. And these persuadables, I suppose you could call them, are now looking at other possibilities other than the Union. And some are are nationalist voters who want Irish unity, but not just yet. They're not just convinced about how it will work out for them economically. Some are young voters 
Uh, others are former Unionist voters who are fed up with the negativity of the Unionist Party and perplexed by the Brexit crisis. And then there's an increasing range of people who think quite correctly that Boris Johnson isn't in it for them and that the Tory party couldn't care less about the North or about people here any more than they care about their own working class. So there are people now looking at the different issues of contention that might influence their uh, vote. Is unity affordable? Yes, not only is unity affordable, but the uniting Ireland economy that would emerge post the union would perform better, would create more jobs and enhance people's standard of living. And economists, leaving aside Sinn Féin folks, economists like David McWilliams and Professor John Doyle have come up with these conclusions. And then recently, the future of pensions was raised and the assertion was made in the Irish Times that the UK will not pay a United Ireland pension. And Professor Mike Tomlinson, who has a column, very good column in the Belfast Media Group, rebutted this claim and he pointed out that the pension is based on an individual's record of national insurance contribution. So there are many people who worked in Britain for years, but who now live in Ireland, they get their pensions. I uh, have a friend in the States for many years, but because he paid into his pension when he was working here, he gets his pension. And the same argument about pensions was used in the run-on to the referendum in Scotland. And the suggestion was that pensions were not safe and that a future British government might refuse to honour its obligations. And maybe it would. We can't take anything for granted. However, in 2014, the British government accepted that the pension rights of Scottish workers, which have been accumulated over the years, have to be paid to them. And the liability for that rests with Westminster. Now, inevitably, it will be an issue for any negotiations, but the legal principle is accepted. So let's not take anything for granted, but let's go forward on the puncturing these myths that are put out as truisms that the British will not pay a pension. Maybe they won't want to. It's up to those who negotiate on our behalf to make sure that they do. Workers who have paid their national insurance contributions have strong legal and moral arguments for pensions from pension funds already accumulated to continue to be paid by London. So whatever concerns anyone might have about Irish unity, pension security should not be one of them. So there you go. Uh, going back to how I started this little podcast and the situation in Ukraine, I 
I was thinking of a couple of my favorite anti-war songs. And one of them, I think it was Pete Seeger, who wrote, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? And I was going to play that, and maybe I will play it at some future podcast. But one which is an Irish anti-war song, Johnny, I Hardly Knew You. And we'll finish this podcast with that sung by Tommy Makem. And one of the wonderful lines in it, You are an eyeless, boneless, chickenless egg. Johnny, I hardly knew you. Let's have peace in the world. We've come through our own conflict. It's behind us. Let's ensure that our leaders lead us, not into war, but into harmony. Slán live, Gunyuri and Ta, Libsha, Gulyar. When on the road to sweet up by Haru, Haru, when on the road to sweet up by Haru, Haru, when on the road to sweet up by a stick in my hand and a drop in me eye, a doleful damsel I heard cry. Johnny, I hardly knew you. Yeah, we are guns and drums and drums and guns for I'm happy for to see you all from the island of Ceylon. So long the flesh, so high in the bone. Johnny, I hardly knew Johnny, I hardly knew ya.